TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Welcome to the podcast. And now... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the program, Mom. Zev Brenner. It's always a privilege, always a treat to have Congressman Lee Zeldin. He's running for governor of the great state of New York. Congressman, thank you for joining us. You got it. Happy to be with you. Thank you. How's things coming along on the campaign trail? Everything's going great. Listen, we're six and a half weeks away from Election Day. We're working hard uh, all day, every day. The feedback's been great. It's not just about Republicans who uh, you know, always have supported us in the past. What we're finding is that there are a lot of disenfranchised Democrats, independents, people all day telling me, listen, I've always voted Democrat my entire life. But this year I'm voting Republican. It's not about party. It's about us as New Yorkers. We have to save our state. You want to feel safe on our streets? You want to make life in New York more affordable again? You want to restore balance to Albany? You want to save our city, save our state? This is something where we just all need to come together and work together and put away you know, any type of uh, voting history where you know someone is you know it's might be the first time for them voting Republican. And it's great how many people have stepped up. It's including... Uh, current Democrat elected officials, former Democrat elected officials, Democrat community leaders. It's just about all of us together all in, and we're feeling good. I'm glad your things are moving along the campaign trail. I'm disappointed I'm not going to hear any debates between yourself and Governor Kathy Hochul. Well, I believe that there should be multiple debates all throughout the entire state. I just put out another statement, and uh, I was saying, listen, let's debate this week. Let's debate the following week. If that's not okay, how about the week after that? If that's not good for your calendar, how about the week after that? She's just refusing to debate here. And, uh, and I, I feel like instead of waiting until the very end of October to have one debate for one hour on cable, that we owe it to the voters of New York to find out where we stand on the issues before they vote. And the absentee ballots have now started to go out around the state. She wants to wait until over a month after those absentee ballots go out. And it's just it's too late to do one interview in a way where millions of New Yorkers wouldn't even be getting the debate on the TV screens. It's just uh, not right. And you have to respect the process. You have to respect New York voters. Uh, this is something where a lot of New Yorkers have important issues that they want to know where we stand before they vote. If you respect the people who you want to serve, if you want to represent all New Yorkers, you need to be willing to get out there in front of everyone. You know, I, I outspoken, you and I have spoken about the substantial equivalency push, for example. I say uh, that it was a bad idea. I, I opposed it every step of the way and been outspoken about it. She was asked the day of the vote of the Board of Regents for her opinion by the media. She says that, that it was getting too hot that uh, she'd rather not comment because of the heat that was on the issue. And then she said it's beyond the purview of the governor. I say that you know, the governor is allowed to have an opinion. That opinion can be stated publicly. You can help to move public opinion. You can talk about a yeshiva education, everything that is good about it, but instead she was silent. Uh, silent. And I, it's just not acceptable. And it's one issue to the next that she's been like that, where you have to... You have to vote for her, even though you don't know where she stands on the issues that are most important to you. 
I'm going to get back to the yeshiva issue. I think it's an important one. It resonates with our audience. But the question I have for you is, is one debate better than no debate? Because at least you get a chance to get to some voters that maybe you wouldn't get to. I, I completely uh, reject the notion that this is about one debate or no debates. Yeah, this is about Kathy Hochul doing the right thing and agreeing to multiple de- debates around the state. This is, this is on her to do what's right. And I absolutely reject the notion that there are only two options here, either zero or one. Kathy Hochul just has to do the right thing. She wants to be the governor of the state of New York. She needs to show some more respect for the voters. Getting back to the yeshiva education, it's a hot-button issue. And the question, this is not just true of yeshivas, of any private schools. How much should government be involved in the education of these religious schools and programs, and if they want to get involved in the secular education, shouldn't they provide them with more textbooks and more aid to make it more easily accessible for them to do so? Well, certainly one of the uh, the false notions here is making it seem like a yeshiva education is being funded the same way a public school education is, and the reality is it's not even close. It's many, 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 many multiples more that you see in public education. Then you want to look at the quality of public school education in this state, and there are some public schools that do a a good job. However, when you compare the fourth grade performance numbers between New York and places like, say, Florida or Mississippi, look at uh, performance amongst black students, Hispanic students, low-income students, reading and math. They spend far less. New York spends two and a half times as much as Florida and Mississippi doing per, per, per pupil, and yet the reading scores, the math scores for these fourth grade students are much better down there amongst all of those groups, individually, blacks, Hispanics, low income. So there's something that needs to get improved within the public school education. And, and honestly, if you want to look at the yeshiva education, there's a lot that works inside of it so well. The values that are taught are right or wrong, the, the attendance, the, the life that is lived of people who stay out of trouble because they understand right from wrong, the continuing education after those initial years inside of a yeshiva, uh, in a way, the learning never ends. The success of the entrepreneur, the, the, the person who goes in one direction that's close to their heart and they're successful in life, and some other yeshiva student being, being their best, going in another direction, and also living an amazing, successful Life. So that story should be told. It's not. Instead, they're trying to vilify yeshiva education. As you know, uh, this is as personal as it gets for me. It's across generations. By you know, whether it was my great grandfather raising money for for yeshivas uh, many many decades ago, generations ago, or it was my mother being yeshiva fourth grade teacher in Brooklyn. All right, so, so you believe in yeshiva education. So the question that I have for you, should you be elected governor, what can we do not only for yeshiva kids, all religious, all parochial schools, because you alluded to the fact that the public school spends about $26,000 per pupil. They couldn't handle influx of all the public, all the private and religious schools. But what can be done to alleviate the burden where there's a double taxation, yeshiva parents not getting the benefit of $26,000, and they're paying tuition on top of that? I'm a supporter of school choice. I believe that we should have educational savings accounts, tax credits for for school choice. Uh, we should have uh, school vouchers. Our, our student, uh, we should lift the cap on charter schools. I mean, there's so many different ways to provide school choice, and I've been supportive of all of these these different options. And listen, I went through a public school. My uh, my daughters go to the same public school I went to. My mother's a retired. 
she she went from a yeshiva to a public school. My my father's mother taught at a at a public school. And there are a lot of great public schools. However, however, there are a lot of poor performing public schools. We have uh, students trapped in multi generational poverty. These kids stuck in poor performing public schools, treated like. Like guinea pigs, you want to give an, an opportunity to uh, that young boy, that young girl to, to do better in life. Don't keep them trapped in the poor performing public school. Give them access to another option. That's exactly why I support school choice. I believe that regardless of race, ethnicity, wealth, uh, zip code, that all students deserve access to a quality education. And by the way, it is uh, Yeshiva Ratzah. That's where my uh, my mother taught. Uh, so it, it's... Um, it's just really important that we all come together regardless of uh, whether you're, you're in a yeshiva or some other type of non-public setting, that, uh, that we all look together as, uh, as allies working together to figure out how to put the votes together inside of a state legislature, to get people elected to the state legislature who, are, who share our values, who will be able to fight for, for what's right here. I mean, listen, I think that while there are a lot of really amazing teachers, at the same time, you have some people who have taken over the teachers' union who are acting like political operatives. And in, in a way, it seems like they're not even fighting for their own people well enough. You know, remote learning, this is not something that's in the best interest of our kids. Uh, we saw the masks on two-year-olds and three-year-olds and four-year-olds. We have uh, older kids who are now going off to higher education, but that even though they're paying their tuition, they're not getting access into the classroom because they haven't received the COVID vaccine. I, I mean, you look at so many different ways that this, young, this youngest generation in our country through COVID ended up being the most adversely impacted, developmentally, mentally, emotionally, physically, even though COVID was supposed to impact their generation the least. So there's many things to analyze. When you talk about the, the quality of education that these kids receive, and if you want to give them access to a better quality education, you, you should look at the, the package of options related to school choice. And I've been supportive of, of many of these that I feel like should get over the top in Albany. Congressman Lee Zeldin is our guest running for governor of New York. How I would say that probably the most important issue is crime. Would you say is that what you're hearing from voters out there? Because the Democrats seem to be bouncing back with the abortion issue, and it's giving them new confidence in New York and around the nation as well. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm hearing from New Yorkers as crime is their number one issue. They don't feel safe riding the subway. I was just speaking to one uh, young Jewish man. Uh, just a few days ago where he was talking about when he rides the subway, he takes his yarmulke off and his wife no longer rides the subway. I hear stories from the the woman who tells me that when she does ride the subway, she's hugging a pole or grabbing a guardrail because she's afraid of being pushed in front of an oncoming subway car. We're seeing someone who wielding an axe, swinging it, breaking tables and walls and swinging his axe at other customers and he ends up getting instantly released because of Castle's bail. Two Mexican cartel drug smugglers busted $1.2 million worth of crystal meth, instantly released back out on the streets due to cashless bail. Uh, I, I believe that there's a lot more that, that should and could be done. My first act, the first day that I'm in office, is telling the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg that he's being removed. It's not just 
my constitutional authority as the governor of the state of New York. It's my constitutional duty. It's my responsibility, my obligation. We do not have recall elections. We must remove this rogue DA who refuses to do his job. So there's a lot that can be done to make sure that we're not passing pro-criminal laws. Instead, we're actually rolling back pro-criminal laws. We're holding DAs who are lax, accountable, and even the lax judges. And we're supporting our men and women in law enforcement. We need to be combating anti-Semitism in every form, whether it's manifesting itself through violence on the street, if we're seeing it in the halls of our our classrooms, like we see at the City University of New York, or it's even in the halls of government, as I live through, in my experience, serving right now in Congress. Uh, there is so much to do when we talk about crime. It impacts people in many different ways, and we need all New Yorkers to feel safe again. And that's one of the keys to uh, taking our city back. Yeah, we have to make life in New York more affordable. That's really important. We have to respect freedom. We need a government up in Albany that we can be proud of again, as opposed to one that's filled with all these pay-to-play scandals that we're reading about. A governor who you know, gives out $637 million for a COVID testing contract to a top donor. It's a no-bid contract, and it pays twice the price. And New Yorkers on the hook for over a quarter-billion-dollar difference uh, because of that deal that was agreed to the same day the offer was made. So there's a lot of other issues that are really important, but certainly many New Yorkers tell me that crime's number one. What about congestion pricing? Because I think that's also outside Manhattan that people are very upset about that. I totally oppose congestion pricing. It's a bad idea. I'll do everything in my power to stop it. Kathy Hochul supports it. I believe that this Hochul hike is the bad is a wrong idea for New Yorkers already hitting their breaking point. You cannot add this additional fee. And oh, by the way, irony alert: you implement congestion pricing, you will end up with more congestion. You will have more cars on the roads of Brooklyn and Queens as people travel for new routes where they don't have to pay the fee. You'll see more trucks. On the Cross Bronx Expressway, you'll see more trucks on the Staten Island Expressway. Uh, so this is a, a, an example that has already shown itself in, the, in London, where they pass congestion pricing, and in many respects you end up with more congestion. So it hurts the pocketbook. It, it doesn't actually have the, the impacts that they're talking about as it relates to congestion. You want more people riding the subway? Make the experience safer. You want to have more money? For the, the MTA, well, maybe you should do something about your know, fare jumping and the, the Manhattan DA deciding on day one that it wasn't even going to be prosecuted. There's so many different things. And by the way, this estimate that they're going to bring in a billion dollars a year, that's not accurate. You could see it already with all the exemptions that everybody is asking for. There's no way uh, that, that they would go forward with congestion pricing where they wouldn't do these different carve-outs. They're just not going to hit the $1 billion. You want to do the right thing for the MTA, let's start holding the MTA chairman accountable, not, not just on the, the revenue side of the ledger where, where he puts his hand out and he pathetically begs for more money. And then as soon as he gets more money, he's just going to put his hand back out again and say, no, really, this time, I, if, you, if you give me the $5 billion, then everything's going to be okay. They do it time and time again, and they don't talk about needing millions. They talk about needing billions, and at no point are they talking about truly having a long-term vision that successfully is bringing the MTA's finances under control. Instead, instead of putting that person's feet in the fire, and he makes a whole lot of money to serve as MTA chairman. He might like his job and his perks, but there's a whole lot of New Yorkers who are going to get hit in their pocketbooks 
because of that incompetency. No, no congestion pricing. No congestion pricing for the New Yorkers who can le- least afford it because you're unwilling to put your friends' feet to the fire in this NCA chairman. We have a few moments left, and there's only a short time until Election Day. What are your plans on reaching out to more of the Jewish voters, especially the Orthodox Jewish community, which tend to vote more Republican? Uh, listen, all day, every day, I'm doing everything in my power to meet everybody. And I, I, over the course of the last few days, back again in Crown Heights, back again in, in Borough Park and, and Williamsburg. I was up in Rockland County, recently in Orange County. Just before that, I was in uh, Sullivan County, spending a lot of time with the Orthodox Jewish community. I proudly speak out publicly in defense of the Jewish community, especially right now when they are under attack have a cowardly governor who's refusing to to stick up for for the Jewish community, instead saying it's getting too hot. Well, this is the time that I relish to be able to stick up for the Jewish community. This is the time where you find out whether or not somebody is actually your friend. It's easy to be somebody's friend when you know, the times are you know, couldn't be any smoother. There's no there's no waves to make. Everyone's on the same page. Yeah, anti-Semitism is bad. Anti-Semitism is really bad. But then what happens when it, when it actually hits uh, you know, extremely close to home and it's happening a lot? What, why is she not leading on this? We, you know, when, when Ben and Jerry's is, is going after uh, a, a, an issue and pushing the, the BDS movement, all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, the, there's the cold, cold feet uh, and Unilever. And why, why are we not just actually following that executive order and putting them on the OGS list? You look at... What's happening in this substantial equivalency push? Why not tell the story right now? It's more important than ever. When that New York Times story comes out on a Sunday morning and they're not covering the, the 21st anniversary of September 11, 2001, they're not covering the fact that an allied nation has a new king. Instead, above the fold on page one, the story on September 11th is going after the Jew, Jewish education and not talking about everything that makes it great. So I, you know, my, my, my hairs stand up when I hear people refer to others in politics as a friend when it gets hot and they refuse to stick up at, uh, for, for the Jewish community and do what's right. You can't make somebody a friend just because they're willing to speak up when it's incredibly easy. It's important that they speak up courageously when it's the hardest. And this is one of those moments, and, and this governor's been AWOL. You know, it's now the Jewish New Year, so you have any thoughts, any things you like to communicate to our audience as we begin a Jewish New Year? Uh, Shana Tova to all of your listeners, and uh, may everyone be inscribed in the, the Book of Life, and hopefully this time together, uh, while prayerful, provides an opportunity for, for families to be together, to uh, reflect on much that uh, we're given in this blessing of, of a life. Uh, there's a lot for us to be praying for going forward, and uh, this is a, a moment in time where I, I certainly am uh, hoping that not just the time that we spent together with family uh, and the prayers that we have uh, for good health of those around us who we love the most, uh, but also praying for wisdom and in, in our leaders, praying for our world, praying for our nation. Times are not easy right now, uh, but certainly with that power of prayer, uh, that, that is something that is often uh, underappreciated, misunderstood. It's not embraced uh, by, by so many in government. It's certainly under attack, as we're witnessing right now. 
uh, and I just wish everybody the absolute best uh, during this time, and and I hope that uh, that there is more than just uh, one fulfilling year ahead for uh, all of your listeners and uh, everyone who tunes in uh, for for your wisdom and to be part of this conversation uh, when everyone is done and we're on the other side and uh, our next year has begun. Hopefully we're going to be able to all work together with a renewed spirit, a renewed heart, uh, renewed energy, uh, because there's a lot for us to do next year. Certainly a lot, then, Congressman. We appreciate your being here with us. Wish you and yours a happy, healthy New Year. And look forward to going to have you on quite a few times in town on Election Day. It's important that we get the message out there. You got it. Thank you. Take care. Congressman Lee Zeldin here on the TalkLine Network. One of the most important Jewish institutions in the world today is TalkLine with Zeb Rana. He is so smart, and he is so innovative, and he has so many interesting guests. I don't know what Yiddishkeit, I don't know what New York, I don't know what the world would do without Zev. So Zev, Yashikoch, may you go from strength to strength and keep keep informing us and educating us and keep fighting for Jewish values. Thank you for tuning in to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast, the pulse beat of the Jewish community. For continuous Jewish programs, talklinenetwork.com or our 24-hour-a-day listen line at 641-741-0389. For past shows, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms, or jewishpodcast.org. Thanks for listening to thetalklinenetwork.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.